Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Blair Horner, Executive Director of NIPER. And Blair is going to talk about the uh, changes to the bottle bill in New York State. So I read about it in a, a um, letter to the editors. So what are the changes that are going to be made and if it's up to the legislature to pass it? Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, the the bottle bill that is in effect has been in effect now. It was passed. It was first approved in 1982. So its 40th anniversary is coming up this year, uh, this this spring. Uh, and the effort is to modernize the law and to look at what other states have done to improve the law because much of what the basic architecture of the law is still the same as it was 40 years ago. For example, uh, the deposit is a nickel. Uh, and the way the bottle bill works is for your, all your listeners is when you, for certain containers, when you go to the store, you pay a nickel deposit for each of the containers. And when you bring them back, you get your nickel back. And that's supposed to reduce litter and help increase recycling rates in New York State. It's achieved both of those things. But a nickel 40 years ago is not worth a nickel today. That would be more like 15 cents. And so a coalition of groups, uh, about 100 groups, have urged Governor Hochul uh, to advance legislation this session to modernize the law uh, by, for example, increasing the deposit and expanding the, the types of containers that would be covered. And so whether or not she'll do that, we'll find out, I hope, next month. Uh, but that's what the effort's about. So the reason why this caught my eye and the reason I called you is because uh, back in the summer I did a fundraising drive for WCAA, and I had a, a can and bottle drive. And for the nickel deposits, um, I got $110 from the community for the day. So um, there's been people who participated in that who are interested in seeing a bottle and can drive done on an ongoing basis. So when I saw the letter to the editor, I wanted to call you and uh, and give your thoughts on whether it will be um, more of a, a, a money maker. In other words, if it's a nickel now for a deposit, will it be a dime? And the other thing is that's going to only increase the price of whatever the bottle, uh, if it's a bottle of soda or whatever, it's going to increase the price, right? Well, it increases the price temporarily. If you bring the container back to the store, you get your money back, right? So if you pay now under the current law, and the people uh, pay a nickel for a soda can, um, they get the nickel back when they bring the can back. Uh, right. Under the proposed effort, it would be a dime. Now, when you're talking about what you did, uh, there are people that, you know, again, 40 years later, a nickel doesn't mean much to them. And so the benefits of the bottle law are eroding over time because the deposit doesn't have the same impact as it did 40 years ago. And still, though, mm-hmm. it's about two-thirds of all of the containers in New York State do get returned, and uh, most of which gets then recycled. And so we think it's a law that works, sort of creates what we argue is a circular economy 
where the um, containers uh, that are made by manufacturers are sent back to the manufacturers instead of ending up in New York's landfills or in incinerators uh, or other ways where, you know, it becomes just trash. So we think it's a helpful step toward a more uh, pro-recycling society. One of the things that I get is I get uh, gallons of water. I go to uh, Hannaford or Price Chopper, and I get gallons of water. That's not redeemable. So does that plastic just get dumped into, you know, the landfills? And will there be any solution to that problem? Well, I mean, again, if you – I mean, you're right that there are some containers that are in and some containers that are out. And uh, the effort to modernize the law this coming year would be to expand the amount, the types of containers from right now it's beer, soda, wine coolers, and wine bottles, a uh, water bottle, I'm sorry, wine mm-hmm. coolers and water bottles uh, are the containers that are covered and the other ones are not. And so why would it, why does it make sense to go to, you know, your local uh, steward shop, pick up a, a a bottle of water and pay a nickel deposit. But if you pick up an iced tea, you don't have a deposit on it at all. So all that plastic ends up as trash. So um, and unless it gets recycled in some fashion, and the vast majority of plastic doesn't get recycled. And plastic pollution is a growing threat globally. Uh, the estimates are that by the year 2050, you know, 30 short, fewer than 30 short years from now, there'll be more plastic in the oceans by weight than fish. And so it is definite, we're choking on plastic pollution. And the way to deal with that is, well, certainly to move away from plastic containers, but also to create ways for the containers to be brought back to the manufacturer uh, for them to either reuse or recycle or dispose of appropriately. Because my, my rationale for doing this is it would introduce people to the radio station. Even though it's nickel and diamond, it, we would get some money, and it would help ease the pollution, you know, in our sure. society. So I think sure. it's a win-win all the way around. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and for those currently, you know, as I mentioned before, about a third of the containers do not get redeemed. And so um, where, what happens to the nickels? Well, the nickels are then collected uh, by the state. Eighty percent of the money from the bottle, from the unre- unredeemed nickels, eighty percent of that money goes to the state. And it's supposed to be used for environmental efforts, although God knows where it really ends up. And one of the other reforms that the groups would like to see is to make it clear that all the money that the state gets from the unreclaimed deposits is actually spent on environmental programs. Uh, uh, um, My goal is to lessen the amount of plastic that goes to landfills and oceans. I mean, you know, from what I understand, and like you just said, the, the... plastic is really doing harm to the oceans and, and rivers and 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 that's tragic. Now, from yeah. your perspective, how, how long has plastic 
been such an environmental hazard? Well, I mean, just just to use the bottle bill as an illustration, you know, back in 40 years ago, when you went to your local deli or supermarket, they didn't have things like sports drinks and water bottles and everything else, right? And so as the types of containers have increased, plastic use has increased because it's lighter to use plastic than it used to use glass. The problem, of course, is plastic is derived from oil, fossil fuels, which has its own other problems, and it's basically not recyclable. Whereas with glass, for example, it may cost more to drug it to the place uh, where you'd sell it, but it can be reused and refilled. Like in the old days when I was young, you're not much older than you are. Um, When I was young, we used to get our milk (laughs) delivered to our house in milk bottles, and then we'd give the bottles back and they'd refill them. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we're going to have to do to curb the solid waste crisis that the nation, and certainly New York State, is facing. Now, we've had the bottle bill, for, like you said, for a number of years. How many other states have something as environmentally friendly as the bottle bill? Is there a vast number of states? Yeah, only about nine states in the country have bottle bills. Uh, the industry fights a tooth and nail because they don't want to have to deal with it. It's a headache for them. And so there have been huge fights in every state where these proposals have come up. Sometimes they've succeeded. Sometimes they haven't. Uh, but other states have been able to do things like increase the deposit, expand the types of containers, uh, and, um, and to use the money more appropriately that the, for the unredeemed deposits. So New York has at one point was it a national leader when it comes to bottle bills, but now is, you know, sort of slipped back because they haven't done enough to modernize the program. Mm. But uh, I'm looking at it from the standpoint that it could be a, a pretty good money raiser for nonprofit organizations. That's my perspective. Mm. Well, I mean, there are people that are called canners, and those are the people who in some, in some uh, you know, uh, cities in New York State go around and go through the garbage pails and, um, uh, you know, collect the unre- unredeemed deposit containers mm-hmm. and then bring them back themselves, sort of similar to what you're describing. And there's about 10,000 of them in New York City alone. And for those people... Uh, increasing the deposit could obviously be very beneficial to them uh, financially, although presumably if you raise the deposit from a nickel to a dime, uh, it would increase the number of uh, containers that are redeemed more than just two-thirds. It might go up to – in other states that have done this, it's gone up to as high as 80%. Which is good. Um, Yeah. Yeah, less trash, less more recycling. Well, uh, back in 2007, I was diagnosed with um, lymphoma. And after I had my chemo treatments, I did um, a couple of marathons for the uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And in one of those marathons that I did, I raised all my money for the event through 
cans and bottles and it was pretty successful. So, you know, I know that, you know, there's some money to be made and, and sure. you know, doing something like this. And it 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 increases awareness in the community of the radio station, what we're doing. You know, I'm trying to build a, a like a rapport between the community and the radio station and the radio station and the community. And I think this is my way of doing it. No, I mean, that's great. I mean, you're, it's important for the public to know what's going on. You provide an incredible community service through your show that we're doing, for example, right now. Right, right. So um, what what do you envision um, for 2022 in New York State? With, re- with regard to this issue? No, with regard to politics in general. Well, it's an election year, uh, and, um, you know, the Democrats are still, seem to be trying to sort themselves out uh, by – reducing the number of top of the ticket primaries there still will be some but it's not as many candidates i mean with the current attorney general Letitia james not running for governor and deciding to stay as attorney general after she announced she was going to run for governor um that uh i think reduced the likelihood of a you know there will still be a major fight for governor with uh, congressman tom swazi and new york city public advocate jermani williams if they presumably they stay in the race but it's different, and it certainly cleared the field on there were hundreds of candidates, it seemed like, wanting to run for attorney general, and that all changed. So it seems like the Democrats are sorting themselves out. It seems like the Republicans are going to have to do that, too. But 22 is a big election year. Uh, all tw- 213 state legislators will be up, and they'll be running in new legislative districts because the redistricting process has to play out in the next few months. Uh, there'll be statewide um, candidates running for governor attorney general and comptroller. And so it's a big year electorally. And in terms of the session, I think that's the tail that wags the dog. I think uh, incumbents are going to bring home the bacon to their districts to show that they've done a good job in hopes of, you know, getting the votes that they need to get reelected. So it's a big year and without a Cuomo on the ticket, which (laughs) over the last 30, 40 years didn't happen very frequently. Uh, I think it creates a lot more uh, of an opportunity for the Republicans uh, to win the governor's mansion. You think that's within the realm of possibility? Sure. I think anything's within the realm of possibility. I would think uh, current governor, Governor Hochul, you know, she has a tough hand to play. She had to be, you know, become governor under extraordinary circumstances and to sort of right the governmental ship, which was all of them, was a mess. Um, and at the same time, raise the money and to get her campaign up and off the ground. And she seems to be doing that. New York is a blue state, so it's still an uphill climb for the Republicans. But they probably mm-hmm. have a better shot now than they would have against uh, Andrew Cuomo. I don't, <laughs> I don't see the Republicans really being a, a force to contend with. Do you? Well, you know, they haven't won statewide office since 2002, so this will be 20 years where they haven't won any of the statewide races. So I, I definitely, I mean, New York is a bluer state than it was 20 years ago, and being a Republican in New York State, statewide, 
uh, and having to walk the line between fealty to Donald Trump and being able to appeal to the independent voters in New York, that seems like a really tough road, a really tough tight rope to walk. So we'll see if they can do it. Now, yesterday I I interviewed a, a young fellow who um, wants to, to do a primary against an incumbent congressman. And, you know, he's unsure of how the lines are going to be redrawn and there's the petition process and everything. I think the, the lines being redrawn and the early petition process, that's going to create chaos, don't you think? Well, yeah. I mean, it, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But you're right that the current redistricting system in New York was enacted when a time when the state primaries were in September and now they're in June. Uh, And so the timetables were all off. And on top of it, the census data was late because of the pandemic. Uh, So there's definitely a big possibility, a large possibility that things will be messed up. Uh, But we'll see. You know, I mean, the redistricting commission is supposed to come out with its next set of maps uh, in about this week. Uh, And so, you know, how the legislature reacts to that, I think, is going to be the big question. So the... uh Maps will be redrawn for Congress and also for um, the state legislature and local elections too, right? Yeah, the local election, the local districts get drawn by the locality. So it's a different process. But at the state level, the state legislature draws the lines, or is supposed to draw the lines, for the state legislature and Congress. Okay, well... So are you looking forward to a busy year? Yep. I love it. It's great. It's always exciting. Good. Every year is the same. The first day of school is the state of the state. You do? Um, I have my friend Russell here, and he has a question about the bottle bill. Um, you mentioned that back when it was first instituted 40 years ago, New York was a leader. I know that uh, there are, I think you said nine, nine other states or nine states totally that have a bottle bill. Sure. But sure. I think Michigan has a, a dime, um, a, a dime deposit where New York only has uh, a nickel. And a nickel, you need 20 bottles in order just to get a dollar. It's, um, you know, if you're a homeless person, maybe it makes sense. But I always try to discourage Cynthia from doing it because it's so much work, very dirty. People don't rinse their bottles out. You get it, – it's a lot of work for a little bit of money. Uh, is there uh, – is it being proposed to raise to a dime? Well, that's that's what we're pushing. I mean, we have 100 groups. We urged Governor Hochul to introduce legislation to do, among other things, to raise the deposit from a nickel to a dime. I mean, again, it's just a straight consumer price index adjustment to a nickel from 40 years ago would be 15 cents today. Uh, so you're right. right. It doesn't have the same purchasing power at all as it did 40 years ago. And it isn't a lot, it isn't a lot even now. So it's up to the legislature to vote on it, right? Yep. Like any other bill. Okay. Okay. Now, what groups besides NYPIRG are pushing this? Well, I mean, again, as I mentioned, there's 100, right? So, But some of the more notable ones are groups like Sierra Club, uh, environmental advocates, uh, the League of Women Voters, 
I mean, those are the groups that have really been sort of leading the charge on this, uh, in addition to NYPIRD. Uh And uh, there are many other groups, though, both statewide and local. Okay. So do you think it's going to be uh, a contentious debate? Do you think it's going to be clear, yep. clear sailing? Always contentious. The industry, the industry really? pays a lot of money for their lobbyists. They don't want the lobbyists can't afford to just lay down over this. It really matters what the governor does, because if the governor inserts the legislation into the budget debate, then it's much more likely to happen than if it's sort of the normal trench warfare of trying to get the two houses to agree. But we'll see. You know, we don't know. Um, we don't know what Governor Hochul is going to do. Uh, we met with her staff and briefed them. and We sent the letter and you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're trying as best we can to line up the ducks. Um, but, you know, there's other things like the coronavirus uh, and the elections of 2022 that also sort of dominate the discussion when you get down in Albany. We'll see. And we're going to push hard. So, you know, it seems like things were getting back to normal. Then we got the, this new variant. So has this new variant, has it caused a big setback as far as, you know, what you do and lobbying the state legislature yeah i mean it, you know the uh, yes it's terrible uh it's terrible for people uh it's terrible for our society uh, and it's terrible for not-for-profits it's, it impacts our fundraising for example uh it makes it harder for us to go talk to lawmakers so for example you know i work for a not-for-profit and we're not partisan and we're you know we call it as we see it and so we end up having enemies in both political major political parties and so if some legislator doesn't want to talk to you in the pre pre uh, pandemic days you could sort of track them down at the capitol and go talk to them now right let's past year everything's done remotely and it's much harder uh, to get lawmakers uh, direct attention so do you think that uh, a majority of the the session will be done remotely. In other words, if I wanted to uh, go down there and visit all the different offices, do you think I would be successful or do you think everybody will be in bed this search? Well, I think they're going to take it one month at a time, more or less. And, um, you know, the the COVID, the, you know, the most recent variant, it really – is, you know, just burns through society so fast. It, it, I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen. So there's some indications in South Africa, for example, that it blows through pretty fast and then sort of dies down. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, typically our experiences, you know, our society's experience has been when the weather gets warmer, sort of gets it gets better with the pandemic. But who knows? And so I think the legislature is going to sort of take it one chunk at a time in terms of. Um, uh, that and I think you know, for, certainly for the for January, I think it's going to be really hard to be wandering around the, the hallways of the legislative office building in the Capitol. Wow, wow! So it's going to be pretty soon that the uh, session starts. Uh, yep. I asked you, I think I asked you before, but do you have a lot on your plate as far as this year is concerned? Yep. We always do. We work on a million different issues, on issues dealing with environment like we're talking about, but there's also issues of climate change and drinking water contamination, working on issues of higher education affordability, health care access, public health funding programs. 
and democracy issues such as voting and ethics. Ethics, I think, will be a big issue because of the scandal that toppled the governor, the former governor. The new governor wants to do something about that, and we'll see how that works out. Wow. So you think ethics is going to be a overall priority this year? I think lawmakers have, I think there's a, a consensus that the Joint Commission on Public Ethics, which is the state ethics watchdog, has got to go and something has to replace it. The question is, uh, what is what's going to replace it? You know, it will be something just more or less like the Joint Commission is, just with a different name, or will it be fundamentally different and good? I think time will tell. Okay. So, um You've been listening to Blair Horner. Um, give yourself a little plug. Tell, tell everybody what NYPIRG does and, and the importance of NYPIRG. Well, we've been around for almost 50 years. Uh, we're a statewide, not-for-profit, nonpartisan research and advocacy organization. As I mentioned earlier, we work on a wide range of issues. And we do the best we can to advocate for the public interest relying on the best available evidence and the best science uh, to sort of drive us in terms of the policies that we advocate for down at the state capitol, sometimes at the local governments and sometimes at the federal government. Uh, so we, we don't take, we're not allied with any political party. We don't endorse any candidates. We're not even nice to them sometimes. Uh, but, uh, you know, we call them as we see them. Great. So, um, if somebody wants to get involved with NYPIRG or has something to add to the discussion about NYPIRG, how can they um, reach you? Well, I mean, you certainly go to our website, NYPIRG.org, N-Y-P-I-R-G, New York Public Interest Research Group.org, and there you can certainly access us via email. Uh, if people have any questions, we're glad to respond. Great. So, Blair, you you have a very happy new year, and I'm sure we'll be talking throughout this session. You've been listening to Blair Horner, Executive Director of at NYPIRG. We've been talking about the bottle bill and other, other things going on in the state. Um, this is I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focused on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook. Follow, on, follow us on Twitter. Blair, you have a wonderful new year, and thank you, everybody, for listening. You too, Cynthia and Russell. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>